We're going to read Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. This is our third week in a row reading these verses. And we're going to focus in really on broadly what these verses are saying. So Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So the first thing I want to do is just look at the uniqueness of Christianity. Christianity is utterly unique from every other religion. It's, 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 it does something. The creator enters into the creation. The storyteller writes himself in. And there's, there's God with us. There's two big fancy words that theologians use. Here they are. You ready? Transcendence and imminence. Now, let me explain what this means. Transcendence is about God's glory, His holiness, His beauty, His worth. He's far beyond us. He's way up here. We can't reach Him. And eminence is about Him being intimate with us. He's with us. He's glorious, but He's intimate with us. He's become a native among us. He's put on flesh. He's come to be with us. So you have glory and you have intimacy. Now, Here's the amazing thing that we never talk about for some reason. I don't know why people aren't talking about this all the time. Those two things, glory and intimacy, it's only offered in Christianity. Every other religion will focus on one or the other, but Christianity is utterly unique. So you take, uh, you take the, the idea of God being intimate only. Well, we do this all the time. We say things like this the universe willed it. Or we talk about mother nature. And what we're doing here, we're making God, we're making creation God. And what we're doing is we're taking away the glory of God by doing that because that, the God that's creation cannot save you. The God that's creation can't love you. The God that's creation can't be personal with you because it's not a person. It's just creation. Creation cares nothing for you. Creation is violent. Creation is causing death around us. Like this, the world, the earth. So, we become swallowed up if God is just only intimate, only, and not glorious, not personal. Do you know this? No matter what, something must, something must die for you to live. Do you know that? Like you're, You eat food to nourish you, but something had to die for you to do that. Well, in order for the earth to go on, eventually it has to swallow you up. 
That is not a God that is glorious enough to break you through. That's not a God of love. It's just God that's objectifying whatever. Okay, now, that's down here, God. God up here. Only up here. God that's only glorious and not with us, here's what happens. You can never get to him. You can't reach him. So there's a lot of religions that see God like this. So Islam, for example, will say God is way up here. And it would be considered blasphemy for God to come in and touch the earth. Because the earth is dirty. I mean, we are a world that's filled with hate and war. God would not associate with us. But in Christianity, God comes in to touch the earth. In Christianity, the glorious becomes intimate with creation, with us. So, and we we looked at this last week, um, but I'm going to say it again. We say, ah, yeah, but, okay, I see what you're saying. I see that the the glory and the intimacy, but that doesn't mean that Jesus was God. That doesn't mean that he actually came into the earth. God came into the earth. Well, hold on. Jesus claimed, well, let me say it this way. People were trying to kill Jesus for him making himself out to be God. And never once does Jesus say, you guys, you're misunderstanding me. I didn't mean that. He doesn't do that. You know what he does? He puts the exclamation point on it, and he keeps on saying, no, you don't believe me? Here's the proof. And he keeps going over the proof. He says, look at my miracles. Look at the scriptures. They're all pointing to me. He's trying to convince the world that he is God, that he's ripped open the heavens, and he has come in. And we say, oh, no, well, maybe the disciples are just misunderstanding him. They're writing this down. Maybe they're making this up. Nobody, nobody dies for a lie. Nobody would make the, every single one of the disciples but John was killed for proclaiming that Jesus was God. All of them. And, okay, so we say that, but wouldn't then that mean, I mean, aren't cults also doing this? Aren't cults also, no. Here's the difference in a cult. A cult is saying, this is what I'm hoping for. I'm going to die for this, this thing that I'm hoping in. The disciples died saying that they saw Jesus risen from the grave. That's very different. They're saying, we saw it. We saw him. This is a fact. And they all died proclaiming that it's true, that Jesus is God with us. Think of it, okay, think of this. Think of uh, just an earthly king. He's powerful. He's mighty. He's glorious. The world is in awe of him. He is mighty and he is fierce. And people, whenever he speaks, just imagine this king, whenever he speaks, everybody stops what they're doing and they listen to him. And you wouldn't dare meet this king in the eye. It would be like feel, this feeling of like a child looking up at a warrior immediately to turn away just because of how fierce he is. And you would never dare to be intimate with this king. Except for a select few. Who? His children. In fact, his children, they're not intimidated by him at all. Why? Why aren't they intimidated by him? 
Because he's stooping down to their level. He's becoming small in order to relate to them. He's making weird goo-goo-gaga sounds to his little girl. He's wrestling with his boys. And if he, if he showed his boys all of his glory, he would crush them under the weight of his glory because he's this large warrior king and he would just crush them even if he just like laid on top of them. They'd be crushed. He has the strength to throw them across the room, but he doesn't do it. Why? Because he's their father. He's... He's coming, he's in a way draining himself or emptying himself of glory or he's veiling his glory. He's covering it up. His kids in the middle of the night come running into the bed with him and he bends his glory because they're moving all around and they're making him incredibly uncomfortable and he bends his glory in order for them to be able to be comforted while he is uncomfortable. He's bending his glory. Christmas is the celebration that God has come into the world. And he sent his son to be our brother so that now we have a father who we can crawl up. You can crawl up into the lap of God. That's what Christianity is about. That's what, Christ, that's what Christmas is about. In Christmas time, we dare to celebrate that God is glorious and intimate with us. God with us. If you can see this, if you can actually believe that God came in the dirt to come and get you without losing his glory, like this is Christianity. He's not losing his glory. He's still glorious, but he's emptying himself of glory. He's not losing his glory, but he's veiling it from us. If you can see this, then you will understand Christianity. And if you can't see it, you will never get it. And then, once you see it, you're going to begin to love others like he's loved you. Once you see him being willing to, in a sense, lose his glory to become humble, once you see that, you're going to start, you're going to receive the love that he's given you, and you're going to start living with a humble, sacrificial love for others. It's going to be like a humble presence. And people are going to be drawn to that. They're going to be attracted to that. Because you're living more and more the way you're meant to live. Because you know we're made in the image of God, right? This is coming all the way back from the beginning. We're meant to live in this way because he lives this way. You're willing to lay down your desire for glory in order to love others, to humble yourself to love others. Catch what he's done for you and it's going to start pouring into you and out to the world. Perhaps it's time for you to finally realize that God has come for you. And he has humbled himself in order to come and get you. He's veiled his glory. Okay, why? Why? Why is that? Why does he have to veil his glory? Why is he doing that? Well, let's look deeper. Okay, second point, the miracle of God, glory and intimacy. The question, can God do this? Can God actually come into the world? The answer is Christmas. He can. He's done it. But the Bible talks about this in such a way that by him being willing to empty himself of glory, 
actually makes him all the more glorious. It's a love that we have discovered that had gone unnoticed for a very long time. An ancient love of God that is only a distant memory at best. It was a fact. Here's what happened. God, love, world is created. We're experiencing that closeness with him. Then that love became lost and it became a memory. Well, then it became a legend, and then it just became a myth. Christmas is God breaking back in to give us this love again. You say, prove it. Show me the science. We can't even figure out the science behind creation. You want to know the science behind the creator coming into creation? And by the way, anyways, the Bible is not a science book. It's not trying to tell us the things of science. The Gospel of Matthew is a historical book that is written in such a way so that this story can be passed on from generation to generation. This story is written in such a way so that you can go and tell people about it in a way that will, they will understand and it will make sense to them. It's a story. If it was a science book, there'd be a, a few elite scientists at best that can understand what is written. It is not a science book. It's a, it's a story of God coming for you. Written in such a way so that you will understand it and you'll be able to tell the world about it. So again, still, why did God have to veil his glory? Well, if he didn't, it would be the, like the fierce king coming and plopping right on top of his little kids and crushing them under the weight of his glory. And we don't want God plopping on us. That's why he has to veil his glory. And he had to veil his glory for another reason, so that we would understand him. What do I mean by that? Why does he have to veil his glory so we can understand him? That doesn't seem to make sense. Why would he cover himself up so we can understand him? Well, just think of it like this. Go outside and stare at the sun. Go look at the sun and just keep staring at it. You're not going to understand the sun. In fact, it's just going to look blurry, and it's, and you're, it's going to be very bad for you if you do that. But have, have you noticed, though, if a cloud, if a cl- I threw out a bunch of jokes, and that's the one that you guys are laughing at? So if you go outside and you look up at the sun, it's a blur. But if something veils the sun, if the clouds go over the sun, I don't know if you've noticed this, but you could actually now see the outline of the sun. You could actually understand that it's round because something's covering it up. So you're actually able to see it and understand it better. If you take a picture of the sun or a video of the sun, it has a filter that you can run it through so that you'll actually be able to better understand the sun if you were just staring at it. Why does God do this with us? Why is he veiling? For two reasons. One, so we aren't crushed under the weight of his glory, and two, so we can understand him. If going blind is what happens when you stare at the sun, can you imagine what would happen to you if you stared into the face of God? 
in all of his glory, you would die. You would drop dead if you came into the presence of God in all of his glory. In all of his glory, everything would shift. Everything would move in his presence because he is that glorious. If you think about a, 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 powerful, a powerful river just running, if you jump in that river, it's going to carry you off because it's more glorious than you are. If God himself came into the world in all of his glory, everything would move. And you know what that would do? It would change, probably change the air around us. It would change the heat and the cold. We would not be able to survive it. You know what happens when, when you throw too much information at your computer and it gets that little annoying ball that just keeps spinning and spinning and spinning? Well, that's not what would happen to you in the presence of God. You would crash. Your mind could not comprehend what was coming at you. Do you know what we're doing all the time? We try to make things more beautiful. Right? We're trying to, there's gyms so that, I mean, so you can be healthy and so you could look better. There's makeup for women to put on. We're trying so hard to make everything more beautiful. There are rules behind music that God created music, but, but we, music sounds the best when we're obeying the rules that God made. So we study music. We're trying to figure out how to make it sound better. Someone paints picture. They're trying to make it more beautiful and they're working desperately to make it more beautiful. Look at what God's doing. He's trying to hide us from his glory, beauty, and worth in a way so that we could actually understand him. Isn't this so weird sounding? God is willing to be misunderstood so that we can understand him. He's hiding all of his glory from us so that we could Look upon him. Look in his face and see that he's a God. And this makes him all the more glorious because he's willing to be misunderstood, to come and give his life and die and rise and one day return and make all things right. But first, in order for any of that to happen, he's got to veil his glory from us. He's willing to be misunderstood so we can know him. Jesus is the most misunderstood person in the history of the world, and that would make sense if God came in the flesh that we would misunderstand him. Our text is trying to get you to believe this story. I want to tell you something. You're never going to understand Christianity until you believe it. Listen, listen closely. You're never going to understand Christianity until you believe it to be true. St. Augustine says, I believe so that I might understand. I believe so that I might understand. Here's what he's saying. You have to believe in something first if you're going to explore it, if you're going to learn about it, if you're going to understand it, if you're going to know it. You have to believe first. And as soon as you look at something through this lens of faith, it opens up to you in a whole new way. That's what St. Augustine's trying to tell you, and that's what our verses are trying to get you to do, to believe so that you might understand and know God. That he is all the more glorious because he was willing to lay down his glory to come and get you. Maybe we shouldn't be asking, is it possible for God to break in the world, but why did he? Why has he come? It's because of what happens when the glorious comes to be intimate with us. 
the after effect. It's our third point. The after effect of glory and intimacy is life. Jesus is called the way, the truth, and the life. And in the Gospel of John, always Jesus is referred to as being life. Anytime there's a real combination of glory and intimacy, life and growth are thrust into your life. We're dying, all of us. Death is after us. And it's going to win, in one sense. I'm part of this philosophy group, and uh, it meets once a month, and there was a question that was asked, is life in this world too much for us? And everyone was like, no, 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 no. And, and I said, yep. And my Christian friends were confused by it, um, and everybody knows that I'm a pastor in the group, so they were a little confused. And so I said, oh, I said, of course life in this world is too much for you. You're going to die. Death is going to win. You don't win this. So yeah, it's too much. And the whole point of Christianity is that we cannot handle life in this world. We need a rescuer. We need a savior. We need God to come and be for us, to rip open the heavens and come in and get us and rescue us and save us. That's the whole point of Christianity. That saying that God won't give you more than you can handle is BS. Life is more than you can handle. That's the point of Christianity, that you need God. You can't do it on your own. You need Him. Death wins if you don't have Him. Look at the names that are given to Jesus. Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus means God saves. God's come to be with us and to save us. His, intimate, his intimacy with us saves us by his glory. How? Because his glory enters into the world. Though it's failed, he enters into the world. And then he goes to the cross and he enters into death. He's buried. And then in death, he takes his glory back and while he broke into the world, now he's breaking out of death. And when we take hold of him by faith, he rips us through death as well. So now death is only something we pass through, and it doesn't win now. Glory and intimacy thrusted life into the world. At creation, it was glory and it was intimacy. This is the same thing happens when you go to Christ. You have intimacy with the Creator. You have intimacy with God. And He thrusts life into you. And you begin to grow and grow and grow. Become who you're made to be. This is the... Okay, let's go back. The uniqueness of Christianity. The up and the down. So God, glorious up here, comes down to be with us enters into death, rises up out of it. He's back up here again, ruling and reigning. One day he's going to come back and return and make all things right. There's an up and a down and an up and a down. Otherwise, you know what happens in the end? If God is only down here, God eats you. If God is only up here, you never get to him. He's too far from you, so you die anyways. But 
if he is both glorious and intimate, and if he loves you, and if he's for you, by faith, you are ripped out of death into life with him forever. And that means now, anytime you go and be intimate with the glorious, you start reading the Bible, you start praying, He's growing you. He's changing you more and more and more into who you're supposed to made to become because he's thrusting life into you. But you can't do it without him. You can't grow without him. You have to go. And Jesus calls himself, he's the root, he's the vine, he's the root, meaning if you want to grow, the only, thing, the only chance you have is going to him. Go and be intimate with him. When that which is eternal dies for what is temporary, then that which is temporary now becomes eternal. And creation's hinting at this at us over and over and over again. The rain falls from the heavens and it comes down and it waters the earth and life bursts, forth, bursts, bursts out. An uh, acorn drops from a tree buried into the ground. And then the water falls on it and life bursts up out. Jesus Christ is the seed that was dropped into the grave. And when we take hold of him by faith, he breaks us up out of it. And this, this is true not just in nature. Look at you with other people. Whenever you show someone sacrificial love, you're stooping, to, you're, I mean, you're coming down to hoist them up. You're coming down, but then you're hoisting them up. This is a sacrificial love. You know, when, if somebody needs money, you give them money, there's a death involved for you. You're losing something. Your bank account is dying because you're helping somebody else. Somebody needs your time. There's a death that happens to your time to help them. Have you noticed this? You have a friend who's going through something. You go and spend time with your friend because you want to be there for them. You're a good friend. And, at the, and you have this conversation with them and they're just like, here's everything going on in my life and you're, you are, because you're a good friend, you're, you're there for them. At the end of the conversation, you are drained and they feel a lot better. There's a little bit of a death involved for you so that someone else could live better. That's why Christian, that is love, that's sacrificial love, and that's why Christianity is characterized as love for neighbor. Because God's first done all of that with us. He stooped down to lift us up. And when we've received love that way, we go and love others that way. This is only true for you. Death wins in the end unless Jesus really is God who's come for you. Unless Jesus really is God who has veiled his glory to come into the world. Unless Jesus really is God who's entered into death on your behalf because of your sins, he's entered in. And then he rips death open to break, he punches a hole through death. And then by faith, your faith in him, he takes you with him. This is only a hope if Jesus is God who will one day come back.
to make all things right. Creation is a theater of his glory. But something far more glorious is that he's ripped a hole open and come in for you. To rescue you. To be for you. To be with you forever. That's Christmas. Father, we ask now that this would make sense to us. God, give us the eyes of faith to see you. As you are, God, we long for the day when you return and make all things right. And when that happens, we are given this, these eyes, these new eyes to see you as you are and we can comprehend you. And when that happens, all things are made right and we are made right. God, we long for that day. And until that, as we are here and now, God, we pray that you would give us faith. Help us to trust you. And help us to believe Help us, God. Your name tells us that you will. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.